In this episode of Real Indigenous, we discuss Daniel's story arc, and in doing so, we will discuss death by suicide. If you or anyone you know is feeling thoughts of this, call 1-800-273-8255 or text HELLO to 741741. And now, hunting. All right, let's go ahead and get started. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. Do this. That's for our psychiatry. Mental health struggles. Yeah. (laughs) Which also ties into our tonight. (laughs) Because (laughs) Willie Jack's dad. Yeah. OCD has been flaring up for the past year. Which is a great segue for us to discuss the next episode of Reservation Dogs. So, I'll get started and say hello and welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Indigenous people get real about what's on our screens and everything in between. And like I was saying, Willie Jack's dad's OCD has been flaring up, mm-hmm. and this is and he hasn't been hunting, which is his favorite thing. And he makes sure that she cleans her gun because his OCD is flaring, and it's just. A really interesting episode. There's a lot of layers kind of camouflaged in some funny hunting scenarios. I think the thing that got to me was the acceptance part of the grief process that Willie Jack hits and that her dad starts to dip his toe into in this episode. Anybody watch uh, All That Jazz? Nobody's seen that that movie? The old, like, Liza Minnelli or something like that? No. Not not Liza (laughs) Minnelli, uh... Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. All that jazz. It's old, like 70s, right? Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse. That's Bob what I'm Fosse. trying to think of. Bob Fosse. I'm parts. ashamed to say I have not seen and, it. And I love music. Crazy, I thought you would have seen it. I know. Like there, the are crazy some, dance there are some director, right? But yeah. I love Jessica Lang and I love Bob Fosse. And he smokes so, a lot, right? He smokes a lot. He does. He smokes a lot in this. It, it, has anybody seen Tick Tick Boom? Yes. Oh God. Oh. You got that. I don't know that one. But that was great. I, it was awesome. So Tick Tick Boom takes the same type of structure that all that jazz is. You're, our main character is the narrator and he's flirting with death during the movie. But he's got all these projects going on. And one of the projects is he's cutting together a comedy album that talks about the stages of grief. And it's, what's her name? Kubler Ross. So there's five stages of grief and they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And those are just kind of the broad brush strokes of the process. I mean, I think all of us have lost somebody that's important to us. And so if you think back over your different steps that you went through, you know, the grief, you always live with the grief. It never goes away, but you just learn how to live with it. But there are these stages that you can walk through. Is there not one trajectory? Like, I I think I might've read something that you can bounce absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely there's no timeline there's no i used to think that set order i think yeah i think the new thought is that you know everybody does it in their own time and you can go back to different stages and move forward and to finally accepting that it's happened i get you know there's a lot of references in this episode about daniel wanting to do this daniel wanting to do that daniel's the driving force when they do the flashbacks to when he's with them he's really an asshole 
in the woods. We also see the flashback of Willie Jack's dad trying to intercept him one night. And then, you know, you start seeing that guilt that he carries as an uncle in not being able to prevent Daniel from doing what he does. And Mm -hmm. so it's, and it's really presented itself through his OCD, through his depression, not wanting to do something. And so, you know, when he apologizes to Willie Jack and she's like, don't make me cry. And I was like, no, too late. I'm already crying. (laughs) And I feel like this episode is where you kind of really kind of get more clarification about his, uh, what Daniel's mental illness really kind of see like, he's kind of like, it's manic, you know, as I, he's like really high and then like screams and just like, and he, he may do that in other episodes, I guess maybe a little bit or she'll display that kind of behavior. Like, but really in this episode, you can see that like, oh, this guy's like, he has problems. You know, mm-hmm. he might need some like medication or something. I don't know. And I think, I think the, I'm wondering if this, well, cause we've, we've already dipped our toe into the supernatural, you know, with the appearance of, of Dear Lady in the last, last episode. And here we have the appearance of um, a tall man. He calls it tall man. And uh, my grandma used to call Sasquatch uh, the stick person. And there's another story that goes along with that with stick people. I've heard it's because it sounds like they're breaking sticks when he walks or something like that. But here, like they call him the tall man. And I'm wondering if he's, if the spirit is like grief personified, a Willie Jack said, maybe it's Daniel. Or I'm wondering, is it like Dear Lady where we're actually seeing the spirit? Of course, I want to believe that the spirit's actually there and that it's kind of a mixture of all these things, you know, that it, it is there. I like the, his uh, reaction to it is kind of ambiguous. You know, he doesn't know, you know, his reaction to it in the, when we first see it is, you know, he's asking, who are you? You know, what do you want? And he's, he's scared, but we all know growing up with these stories and we know if there's a spirit, we know you don't, you don't mess with it. You know, you, you leave it be because it, there isn't really an inherent evilness or goodness really that they're just, they just kind of are to some of these beings, you know, I was just taught to not mess with them. Just don't mess with them because respect, be respectful of them. So when I first, that opening scene where he sees it, my first thought that it was tall man and some cosmologies, tall man is like a, brings like, like a sadness. Basically it, a lot of people who have the tall man come around, they, they do become suicidal and those kind of things. And I think that's like a, a, a Lakota I think, or I remember reading an article about it a few years back when they were talking about um, this high suicide rate within native populations and how this this concept of tall man and people seeing tall man around. For me, I thought, because this, when he's out there, it was a year ago, right? Before the kid kills himself, right? Yeah. And so to, that's why I said, oh, this must be tall man because maybe he was bringing a message to, to the father to say, hey, I'm here to take this person. And then at the end of the episode, when he gives the kid his code and tries to do something with it, reach out to him. Maybe he was trying to do something. But the other thing too is like, he's a very passive parent, which is probably what a lot of Native parents are, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of like where he's like talking about, he doesn't want his kid to go to California, but he's not telling her to not go. And so maybe he, this was another form of like his passiveness of telling his, this nephew that he loves him, doesn't want him to hurt himself, but not able to actually just reach out and say it and those kind of things. That's kind of what I sensed. And then like what you were saying, Candace, about how when these spirits appear to us we kind of don't you don't fuck with them they don't fuck with you kind of thing and sometimes like you said they're they're not bad or good a lot of times they're just there for to give you a message like you know with the owls that we talked about earlier like for us it was like they're just there to tell you that something's going to happen something's going to end 
No, that and is it might just be... evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for them, but when, for us, it was like, like, it's just like a death of something. Yeah. It's not yeah. always a death of a human being, but a death of an event or a death of something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then this tall man thing could be like, you know, a warning thing, but he was not able to comprehend that maybe this disconnect we have of our culture was maybe a part of it. Well, here's, here's my question. Why didn't Sterling use an owl to, mm. to give that message? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not familiar with tall man or stick man, or I'm not familiar with that story at mm-hmm. all. If they bring the same message, what's the difference? Why would you choose one over the other? I would think because I think like the, the owl if we're thinking about if we're thinking about tall man as this person who brings sadness this is more about sadness of being sad as opposed to this is a death that's going to come and i don't know tall man either as much as i should you know like i said this was a while back when i learned about it to me i assume that you take that sadness and change and not commit suicide or you can and so what they say uh basically is i'm trying to look it up real fast right now <laughs> and so, Cheating. so and this article is yeah oglala lakota tribes of sioux native americans so it's a lakota thing oglala lakota they said that the tall man spirit who would appear to kids and tell them to commit suicide is what this one said. Sterling wouldn't be able to fit inside an owl. <laughs> a big logistical night. <laughs> well, that dude was, it was a furry guy or was it like a feathery guy? I can't remember. He looked furry. more like, a, like leaves to me. Leaves? I thought he looked kind of furry. Like a straw, straw guy. And I want to say that it's been a while since I've seen Atlanta, but I, I not to go on and on about the similarities, but I mean, there's an influence here. And I want to say that there's actually a character in the woods that is similar to this with like glowing eyes or something. So I, Mm -hmm. when I, I connected those two things, I highly recommend watching Atlanta. If you guys get a chance, there's only like two seasons and it goes by fast. Like this show. It's so good. I think it's really good. It it did. Sterling loved it. Well, then here's my next question because the tall man shows up kind of at the beginning of all this, but then there's that not redemption, but peace. They kind of reach peace when she bags chunk and the, you know, and he apologizes and they just, they have that, it's that beginning of the healing where she's like, well, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to stay here. Maybe the whole LA thing was just because of Daniel and not because of what I want, but then tall man watches them leave. So it's, it, he bookends a really nice story about grief and acceptance i like the reasons he gives for staying trees stuff. you can do stuff <laughs> <laughs> doing weird stuff with your friends drive around like, drive around look at stuff <laughs> for a while there there was a he was a meme on like native memes and it's like things to do drive around ride your bike and look at stuff <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see that meme that's hilarious Oh my gosh, that was my dad. My dad <laughs> loved to drive around and look at stuff. <laughs> what about the acting? The acting is like pretty amazing between the, the chemistry between these two. Yeah. It really like comes out. Like yeah. Quiet, parenting. And yeah. She seems to get like even more. Um, this episode, it seems like she gets a little bit, I don't want to say sweeter. Just more uh, softer or more open. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, it's a really nice layer. 
that we see. I find it interesting that Tully mentioned uh, Leon mentioned him as passive. <laughs> I didn't think that Leon was passive, actually. I thought that he was, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that it's just hard whenever, whenever we see our, we, when we see our men grieving, but I didn't think he was that passive because this, this guy is an active, like he takes his daughter hunting, you know, and he might be more shielding his emotions mm -hmm. but i didn't really see him as active like we see him like uh you know putting corn out for the deer you know like he's getting the the hunting ground ready and you know connecting with these kids and it's he's very much i took him to be like surrogate father for daniel i thought leon serves as the counterpoint to punk and lusty where we see kind of a more uh more of a nurturing father not a necessarily emotionally vulnerable father but we see someone who's active and yeah he's dealing with his grief and maybe he did take more of a backseat and didn't he say something about not being there for you maybe this past year for the past year that's that a big apology yeah, I haven't really been there for you this past year. and But they seem like, you know, oh, from the stuff we see on the trail cam, they seem to have like a fairly fun, yeah. like father-daughter relationship going on. And it, that's, I love that segment where they're just, they're just goofing around looking for one trail cam and there they are caught on all the trail cam. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean like passive in that he's not doing things with the father, but I'm talking about like, there are some parents who kind of like let their kids do what they want. Oh. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, so, and and a lot of times, like, you, you sure that's a good idea to do that? Do you really want to touch that like their fence? <laughs> See what <laughs> happens if you do. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, you know. If ever you've raised a teenager, I can assure you that you cannot say, don't go. You cannot be concrete in your language talking to a teenager because they will immediately run the other way and <laughs> yell at you and tell you you don't understand. You're ruining my life. Exactly. And he's also soft-spoken too. I think that maybe that's what lends that that air of what you're talking about, totally passivity, just like yeah. that juxtaposed with his huge body, big man, <clears throat> but he's like super like soft-spoken, I guess maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really ever hear him yell or really get angry. Yeah. And it, to me, he is very passive just because I guess I've, you know, I don't know. I've never, I guess I've, it's rare when I've grown up to have been around maybe a couple of uncles maybe that were that sweet natured even. I don't know. Not that I've grown up around a bunch of assholes, or anything, but yeah. yeah, he just seems super like. He's like a bear. Yeah. He's like, he's a, like a huggy bear. bear. Yeah. He reminds me of my uncle who passed yeah. away he reminds me of my uncle moose a big bear of a man but mm -hmm. so he was tender on the inside yeah you know that's who this character that john Prowse started playing leon is that his name like i get a tender heart you can tell underneath the, yeah the muscle yeah and that, he really doesn't want his daughter to go and yeah. that's what's really it, funny is paulina you know he's so you know cuddly huggly bear kind of type of man and I'm used to growing up around those types of like native men as like uncles. And then Paulina's just a little, you know, I love her. I love that she's just a punk, you know, she's a bit of a punk. She's got this hard exterior, but it, it, she reminds me of my sister, but inside she's like my sister. There's like this tenderness, there's this vulnerability and you can't, you have to keep that shield off because you gotta be, you gotta be tough. But when you let that guard down, you like, you let it all the way down. And she seems like one of those people who maybe gets hurt, you know, fairly easy, but it hides it very, very, very well. 
that character or Paulina's Lakota. And that character, when I did that the Google search on uh, Tom Ant, it's also like a Lakota story. So I was like, I, I like, it probably doesn't mean anything, but I did wonder, I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting connection. Like, I wonder, mm-hmm. it probably has nothing to do with it. Well, it probably just has something to do with Sterling Levin to go hunt and herd creepy things out in the woods. Isn't Bigfoot country Southeast Oklahoma? Isn't that what they're known for? Evener? Yeah, yeah, Evener. Close to where I live, dude. Uh, like in the Beavers Bend area, they got all the Bigfoot stuff. And I guess then uh, they passed like a Bigfoot hunting, you get your Bigfoot hunting license. So didn't they recently pass that? Yeah, I remember that. I thought no, it was a bit of legislation that was proposed. I don't know if it actually got passed. Why would we hunt Bigfoot? Like you get messed up. You know, something bad will happen to you if you go after Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very much a tourism. I think there yeah. was a, it was a reward or something, a $10,000 reward. Yeah. If you managed to capture Bigfoot. I myself have not seen Bigfoot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was not hunting. I know they have there, recently, there was a video of, in that area of a, of a Bigfoot that they were trying to analyze whether it's real or not. Well, I, thought, I thought I saw something on my uncle's trail cam that <laughs> we saw a wild boar. There were wild boar pictures, but like right up against the camera, there was something furry and blurry that I couldn't make out, but it didn't look like boar. And my brother, one time, he was a camp counselor at like Camp Luther Homa out towards Briggs area by the river. And um, he went outside to go take a leak. And he swears he heard something like fall from a tree and like land, stand upright, was so tall and run off into the woods. That's what he swears he saw. But you couldn't see yeah. it very well. Just something really dark and tall. In a tree? In a tree. <laughs> <laughs> they climb up trees? <laughs> Why not? They're That's tall. a monkey. That's a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> monkey but he said it was tall. tall. Smelt bad. Well, that's, oh. I mean, that's their deal. Yeah. That's supposed to be, that's supposed to be the, the warning signs. He said he freaked out. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> get out of there. I always thought a tall man as like this real, uh, like more of a human looking person. Uh, and so the story that I have, the, and I always thought it was tall man. I never knew what it was, but my cousins were outside playing at, at the church. I wasn't there. Uh, they were kicking a ball around and the ball went around behind the eating dining halls kind of thing. And he ran around the corner and he said when he went to, when, the, when he went to pick up the ball, he looked up. There's just a dude standing there, like all white, just in all white clothes, everything white. And he just like freaked out and dropped the ball and he ran off and he just started vomiting. Ooh. And, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And then he ran inside. He's crying and everything. And, and so I always thought that was kind of like some kind of tall man or something because it, it was or it was a ghost. But, you know, in my head, it was always like I always thought it was tall man of some kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, because he said like a tall, big, tall dude. And he was a kid. So maybe he was a normal size dude. And it could just been a regular dude standing there. Who knows? But <laughs> the weird shit that happened around it. Right. Because the dude freaked out, vomited, cried, all that shit. And so. He was in a I white just, suit? Yeah, like all white, just all white, white skin, white suit, white everything. And it reached down to pick up the ball and it, it was, the kid ran off. <laughs> Does any other episode take place just in one location? Which this one, it seems like this is looking right now, it seems to be all just like basically all in the woods. It's yeah, it's yeah. mostly in the woods. Mostly in the woods and at their house. Mm-hmm. I think that became that 
I think that the what's up, white Jesus came yeah. kind of favorite line from this episode. And that Jesus picture, do people still hang that up? I've not seen that in a long time. But back in the day, <laughs> I think grandmother they always had that be, one. yeah, yeah. Yeah. My grandma had that. My grandma, my aunts, like, and some of the old, some, even some of the old Indian churches. Yeah, that specific picture, you know, and it's like, I recall that happening. That song that's at the end of this episode, Hallelujah, and if I were Creek, I'd want it sung at my wedding and at my funeral. I know that song because I love that song. (laughs) And I'm not Creek, but I I sure do love that song. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this song, I just, I feel the song. Yeah, that, Uh, that, I'm looking at that right now. I was just looking at that. And that's a really powerful scene. Yeah, Yeah, it's beautiful. And you have in the the credits, you have the actual Creek singer singing it. Yeah, I like cried. Oh man. Cried both the first and second time that I've watched this episode. And actually, um, before Roy and I started visiting Elm Tree, oh, at Dee Dee Etchison, our pastor was uh, was a Creek woman named Judy Deer, and she'd sing and she would lead that Hallelujah song um, just about every Sunday, and that's how also I got to learn it. Question to you guys: Does any other tribes, or do you guys, when you go to funerals, or do any you know those little houses? Yeah. Those, do you guys do that too? Like no. Mother, no. No. I, I think it's mostly a spe- specifically a Creek thing. At our church, there's two graves that have those kind of houses mm-hmm. and one of them is my dad and he, he always liked that idea and the concept and he's not creek he's tough though but cool. it's what he wanted when he when he kicked the bucket so we did that for him well i was working on mark william one of mark william's movies and we were shooting and there were some of those houses and he he's isn't he seminal he's chalked well he he's might chalked be seminal off. too he's chalked off. Is he because I yeah I looked at it and I was like I don't know what this is and so they had to explain it to me I've seen those a lot of times at going to funerals oh and you, we were in the middle of nowhere you know eastern Oklahoma yeah I think it's I think it's mostly uh, the creek could do that you you'd have you have to think of you know the documentary that he did on music and he's referencing that you know he's referencing that knowledge that because to me I mean I'm biased obviously since I also am in Muskogee but it's a beautiful mm art form in our culture that then unfortunately like i said it's like dying it's dying out at the churches now or at least the one that i'm going to now for christmas that's so sad that's so sad there used to be always people singing men sit on one side women sit on the other which is interesting because you know there's like this growth of anti-christianity amongst native people just because that religion has caused so much pain and death and has so assimilated us that there is this kind of growing tide of backlash against it which i i find interesting yeah and that is interesting because like at least all of us a lot of the natives within oklahoma do have some kind of christian background and like with the choctaws uh what happened was they used the religion in order to maintain the clan system and so if you ever go to the choctaw uh churches there's different houses camp houses around the church Mm-hmm. So like whenever you go for these like long meetings or weekends, because back in the day, you know, you're there for days because, you know, everybody's traveled from all over the place. And so everyone, someone stays at one camp house, another stays at another camp house. 
And back then it was based on the, the clan, which clan it is. And even that's gotten a little bit lost because our camp houses, at least at my church, is not there anymore. For a while, it was almost more like a family system. So the, you know, Wilson family, which is my family, and then McKinney family was over here. I think Gibson family was over here and that kind of thing. And so you do have this issue of how fucked up religion, Christianity did within our overall indigenous peoples. But then you also have this other things that it was used to empower. It was used to carry on our, our language, but with these songs. And I don't, now, shit, I don't even remember how that, does Sterling even talk about that in his in his documentary? It's been a while since I've seen it. But I mean, I, I agree with you as far as like the, the weird juxtaposition of that, or just like the, the irony of that. It's like, you know, Comanches do the same thing. It's like a hymns you know, hymn singing, the elders would sing hymns, Christian hymns, you know, in way, and, and in that way, they would come together so they could continue that culture of language, but under colonization. <laughs> so it was always like, my grandma did it, my Creek grandma did it. And yeah, Muskogis were still doing it, you know, up until I'm sure they're still doing it. I just maybe not at that church, but I mean, and that's what I grew up with that kind of like hearing those Christian songs. And the irony is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not our religion. But at the same time, it was a weird way of continuing at least the language uh, preservation. And the Catholic, or the speaking of Catholics, I mean, Pueblo people out here, it's the same thing. They have feast days, but they're honoring like uh, Catholic saints. And the Spanish people were horrible to the Pueblo people. You know, that's why they had their revolt in 1680, pushed them out. And then the Pueblo people came, or the Spanish people came back 12 years later. And then unfortunately, you know, but but they, they found a way, found a way to integrate that into their own systems to where they have their feast days and they have, they have their own culture, but for whatever reason, it's integrated. Yeah. It's not going away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it was also kind of a survival mechanism in a way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I think I have at one point given up the whole concept of like, this is fucked up that we have Indians, you know, celebrating Christianity or, or following this religion when it's been so fucked up to our people then you can't really change the momentum of my whole family on my creek side is, a, is pretty much my uncle's a preacher he's a baptist preacher and like they're very christian but they're also very creek yeah it's just like you have to let nature take its course and let the people decide they're not gonna listen to me i mean <laughs> <laughs> well especially when you get in and out like that <laughs> That? Especially whenever you fade in and out like that. You know? <laughs> Can I do it again? Oh my God. Yeah, I'm going to call it an intersectionality because one of the things I loved most about attending D.D. Etchison was how the pastor, well, one, it's a, since it's more in the Methodist, more Methodist denomination, we had a lady pastor who was a very Creek, very, very Creek and, um, you know, grew up in church and, but she was just very, very Creek. And she was unafraid to talk about, unafraid to talk about genocide, unafraid to talk about the realities of assimilation, the weaponization of Christianity against native peoples, but also talking about very much aware that, but she was able to, you know, she's able to separate that Christian nationalism away from her Christian faith and bringing it back to, you know, the sufferings of the man that, that we call savior. And I do find it interesting that as far as Cherokee language is concerned, and even some Osage language as well, like the bastion or the strong work, the strongholds of our language are in two places for, for, I know for Cherokees specifically, and they're, they're at stomp grounds or they're in the churches, but both of them are, we're losing it. Both, both strongholds are becoming weaker, actually. 
And it's been the way with Osages and Quapaws. Oh, like my grandmother's the last speaker, you know, and we chased the Catholics away a long time ago. We told them to, to leave, to get out because they were mistreating the kids. So they were like, we're not having that. We can't do that. We're not doing that. And so I don't know if, as far as I know, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with Quapaws aligning themselves strongly with any denomination there for a little bit. Osages went Catholic way. And I don't know. I, I really don't, I couldn't say like where a stronghold of language would be, even if Quapaws had gone with Catholics or a church way, I suppose, because Quapaws went more towards a Native American church way and started singing peyote songs. Anyway, it's interesting, the intersectionalities of, you know, reclaiming your indigenous personhood and also, you know, just having this reality of growing up in church and having it being a very Indian church. And it's a very unique place too, where you can just be too. When people talk about us going to church, when I go to church and it's like, there's, it's like, it's more like a social gathering than it is more of a religious like experience. It's like you're, you're coming together. I'm related to about 90% of the people at that church. Uh, we're eating almost every time we get together and we're mostly chit-chatting. No one's like in a quote unquote conservative church. You're not sitting there being quiet. You got kids running around acting in the pool crazy shit's happening you know people are talking some people on their phones you know i mean and no one's getting in trouble you know <laughs> the so food like, is usually good the food is yeah, amazing the food is and then they're singing the they're singing yeah and, and and you hear the language yeah you hear language we have a scripture that's read in choctaw and then you have the songs that are sang and sung in choctaw and so you know it's 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 a whole and like you said even like with the native american church it's again, it's it, to me, it's almost, it is a form of a way in which we maintained our power, maintained our traditions, maintained our culture, because like Native American church, how else are we going to get to do our peyote center ceremonies, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But with a religious connection to it. So why do the Creeks have the houses over the grave? Anyone know? I, that's what I, I want to know. I, don't I know. thought you would know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. That's why I was asking you, asking, so you guys, you guys have this too? I, <laughs> no, I need, I need I to find this out. That. <laughs> we had camp houses too though totally I, I grew up in that culture camp house culture and like the mm -hmm. but it was like just our families like we had one one camp house and then like that was our family center for biscuits and we had one good like salt meat and well water after during church after church I should say it'd be yeah that's like a whole thing it's like a social event and it's like, I remember those camp houses. Those were fun. In the middle of nowhere. Ours was at Little Corsardi, which is around Wawoka area. All right, let's close out with a song. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything to close out? Uh, we could go to the final stage of grief, acceptance. Mm. <laughs> Except that this is about this uh, episode's about to be over. Oh. <laughs> Except. Except. <laughs> I'm angry still. I haven't gone past angry. <laughs> five stages of anger. You just Nancy's stay in anger. Tough. You just stay, stay angry. angry. Yeah, five. I'm just not leaving anger. It ulcers. <laughs> <laughs> it's all internal. All right, guys. All right. Are we going right. to sing a hymn? What are we going to do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we probably all don't know the same hymn. <laughs> Except ironically, probably an English hymn. <laughs> <laughs> Totally take it away. <laughs> a one and a two and a. <laughs> ah, ba, pinchi. Oh, shit. Get it. Get it.
know some words. I know a few words. I have to get the book out there to do the rest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 my cousin who's dead now. This is kind of vulgar, so forgive me. But <laughs> he went up to my mom. and So uh, pinchik means breast. Pinchik. So, but the song is Abba Pinchi. And so he went up to my mom. He said, and, you know, our, our hymns are by numbers, right? Choctaw hymn 48, Choctaw hymn 28, you know. And he's like, what number is the song? The Pinchik song. <laughs> 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 she just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know we purposely did that. Really <laughs> that <laughs> you didn't do that. <laughs> she just busted out laughing. <laughs> I think that's good to end with, huh? As you yeah. say, yeah. We'll look forward to the <laughs> yeah. next yeah. episode. Yes. As right. we start unrolling more about Daniel. Thanks, everybody. Thank next you. week. Next week. All right. Catch y'all next week.